You're listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg-Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. We're going to be in uh, the book of Exodus this morning, Exodus 22 and 23, uh, page 63 in uh, your black hardcover Bible, if you're using one of those, uh, is where you'll find today's text. Christians are people of God's mercy and God's justice in the world. Uh, Really, this is a continued celebration that Jesus took on flesh to dwell among us, and it's an anticipation that Jesus is making all things new. And it's in light of the salvation that he accomplished uh, by his life and death and resurrection. And because of all of these things, then, we begin each new year, each January, by calling ourselves uh, as a church family to be those people of mercy and justice in in God's world. Uh, As we kick things off this year, 2021, let me offer you both a warning and an encouragement. So first, a warning. Expect to be uncomfortable this month, and perhaps even offended uh, at times. We've done this now enough Januaries to know that some of what we talk about will grate against your sensibilities, whatever those sensibilities might be. Uh, It might uh, challenge your political perspectives. It might, actually it hopefully will, force you to think more holistically about the implications of the gospel. When that happens, when that happens, fight the the urge to recoil. If you have a strong, visceral kind of response to something that's said, whether it's said by me or whether it's said by one of the the folks that come in and share with us, uh, ask yourself, why? Why such a strong response? Uh, We all carry with us assumptions and presumptions. We all have blind spots. So use this month as an opportunity to continue to be formed as a follower of Christ, and to really allow the Word of God and the Spirit of God, not the news, uh, not a political party platform, not even your own instincts and sensibilities, but really the Word of God and the Spirit of God to form you as Christ's followers. So that's the warning. Here's the encouragement. Invest yourself in this. Uh, Really jump in and join us as we pursue learning and praying and doing together. Uh, One of the subtle or or maybe even not so subtle effects of 2020 is that it has turned many of us inward. Whether that's from a health perspective or a job perspective or just a decision-making perspective, the circumstances of 2020 made it all the more easier for us to put self at the center of our lives. And so in recent months, how many times have you thought or have you said or have you heard another person say to you, I just need to do what's right for me. I just need to do what's right for me or for me and my family. And there's some validity to that. We, we do need to make decisions that are wise. And there are some decisions that are wise for some and unwise for others. There's validity there. But as that line of thinking seeps into our minds, as it starts to permeate our hearts, and when it does that for 10 months or so now, day on day, that forms us. That forms us, even when we don't want it to. It makes us, slowly, over time, more self-centered people, more cloistered people, less attentive and responsive, less loving, even. And God knows that's where I find myself struggling as this new year begins. My deep desires, I think that's the best way to put it, really my deep-seated idols, 
uh, of comfort and control rise up and they start to whisper lies to me like, well, hey, this stuff is somebody else's job. It's somebody else's role. It's, you know, the government should take care of vulnerable people. It's not your job to care about these things. And so I'm this month, and I would invite you to do the same, asking God to use our month together to once again reorient my life, um, to renew my compassion, uh, to renew my love for people, and particularly for vulnerable groups of people in our world. I'm asking God to give me the eyes of Jesus. And we read in the Gospels that Jesus looked out upon the crowds, looked out upon the multitudes, and saw people were harassed, and they were like sheep without a shepherd. And it says in the Gospels he had compassion on them. I'm asking for those eyes. So join me in that. Join me in that. Ask God to make you an instrument of his mercy and justice in this world. Ask God to make us a church of people filled with those who give our lives to causes that are near to the heart of God. Let's actually, by the grace of God, let's emerge from this pandemic with hearts and lives that are more open and more generous and more compassionate, not less. This morning, as you heard from Ellen just a a minute ago, we're considering how to love and care for and serve refugees. One of the main, uh, one of the many, I should say, texts in Scripture Uh, that we could look at. We're going to look at one today from Exodus 22 and 23. So I invite you now to listen with open ears to this book that we love. I'll start in Exodus chapter 22, verse 21. You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him. And a sojourner here, the word in the original language means a, a stranger or a foreigner, or even maybe in some antiquated language, an alien, someone from outside. You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. If you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor, you shall not be like a moneylender to him and you shall not exact interest from him. If ever you take your neighbor's cloak in pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. For that is his only covering, and it is his cloak for his body. In what else shall he sleep? And if he cries to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. And then skip over to chapter 23, and we'll just read verse 9. You shall not oppress a sojourner. You know the heart of a sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. This is God's word. Let me pray for us. Blessed Lord, who caused all of Scripture to be written for our learning, grant now that we would hear and learn and inwardly digest your word, that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior Jesus Christ, the one who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The book of Exodus is about God's great rescue of his people. Uh, But as he saves them from slavery, he also saves them for something. In fact, as an author named Tim Chester pointed out, quote, the Hebrew word used to describe Israel's slavery is the same word which is used to describe her worship. 
It's the same word for slavery and worship in the book of Exodus. As image bearers of God, that means our heart is meant to be bound to God. And sin means that we bind ourselves to something else, something lesser that is not God. And that ultimately enslaves us. True freedom, then, is not autonomy. It's being bound to God. It's being in communion, in covenant with him. So the actual exodus from Egypt takes up only about 15 chapters of this book. The other 25 talk more about what God's people are freed for. And that's really what all of the Old Testament laws, whether here or in other books of the Old Testament, that's what all the Old Testament law is. The the Ten Commandments, for example, the most famous of all of these laws, begins with an all-important preamble. It says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then goes into the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. In other words, these are not arbitrary laws and commandments. This is how to live as freed people. God is saying to his people, I've rescued you from slavery. Don't enslave yourself again. Live as those who are truly free, which means that you are bound to me. That is your ultimate good, and that is what will bring good to the world. When we reach Exodus 22 and 23, then, we're in a section of the book which lays out punishments for breaking God's law. One of the themes that emerges here, and we read it especially when um, we were talking about money lenders, when Exodus 22 talked about money lenders not charging interest to God's people and making sure to return their cloak if they had taken it in pledge. This theme that emerges is that God's people are called beyond mere civility, beyond mere order, and they're called to embody the very heart of God in the way they care for vulnerable and oppressed people. Our text this morning included two reasons why we should care about sojourners, immigrants, or refugees, uh, both in our own world but also in our backyards. And they are God's ears and our hearts. God's ears and our hearts. And we'll spend the rest of our time this morning talking about those two things. So first, God's ears. Two times in this text, uh, we read about God's ears So chapter 22, verse 23, if you do mistreat them, meaning sojourners or the widows or the fatherless, and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. And then again down in verse 27, and if he, your poor neighbor, cries to me, I will hear. Over and over in scripture, we read about God's heart for vulnerable people. Some years back, an author named Nicholas Wolterstorff coined this phrase, the quartet of the vulnerable. The quartet of the vulnerable. Four groups, quartet, explicitly mentioned in Scripture time and again as those on whom God has compassion, those whom God has a special concern for. God says, I will have compassion on whom I have compassion, and these are the groups of people that he has compassion on. Zechariah chapter 7 Verse 10 includes all four of these groups in a single verse. That verse reads, Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. So those are the four. Widows, the fatherless, sojourners, and the poor. And in our text today, it's not all in one verse, but we also see all four of these groups of people. 
And about each of them, God says, if they are mistreated among you and they cry out to me, I will hear them. Now, think about that, especially as it relates to sojourners. During Advent, we considered Jesus as our priest. And when we did, we considered the gift it is that we have access to God. Because Jesus is our priest, we can approach God. He hears us. That's not a right. That really is a gift of his grace. In fact, the whole system of sacrifices and the priesthood in the Old Testament, which is written about here in Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, it ensures that people can be presented righteous before God so that he will hear them. That whole system, though, was meant for God's covenant people, those to whom God has bound himself. And so sojourners, by definition, are outside of those covenant people. They're not part of Abraham's family. And yet, without any mention here of a sacrificial system or of a priest to mediate for them, God says, if you cry out to me, if they cry out to me, I will hear them. And that, of course, is exactly what God did when his own people were sojourners in Egypt. At the end of Exodus chapter 2, we read, The people of Israel groaned and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered the covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. God heard his people's cries in Egypt, but he didn't just hear, did he? He didn't just hear, he acted. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, he went to work on their behalf. He brought judgment upon the people, the Egyptians, who oppressed them. And as the song of Moses in Exodus 15 and really so many psalms look back and commemorate, God shattered the enemy. Horse and rider he threw into the sea. He triumphed gloriously. And so likewise, we read here in Exodus 22, God's compassion for the vulnerable means judgment against those who oppress them. His wrath will burn, it says. He will bring the sword. And we hear that, and we might shudder a little bit. We might balk at that. But that kind of burning, that kind of judgment, really is the flip side of the compassion coin. They go together. You don't burn with wrath unless you love someone or something. Unless you actually care deeply and passionately. Author, author and Holocaust survivor Elie Wiesel once wrote, The opposite of love is not hate. It's indifference. It's indifference. And you don't want, and I don't want, a God who is indifferent to oppression. We don't want a God who is unmoved by the mistreatment of vulnerable people. If that were the case, Abraham's family would still be enslaved in Egypt. If that were the case, God would have abandoned us and this world to the power of sin. Now, we want a God who sees, as C.S. Lewis once put it, that a great many things have gone wrong with the world he made, and that he insists and insists very loudly on putting them right again. We rejoice in that fact. That, that is our hope in this world. That is our salvation. But it also means that we never want to be the cause of oppressed people or vulnerable people crying out to God. We never want to be on the other side of that where we, we're causing other people by our actions or our omissions 
others crying out to God for help. And this idea affects so many of the topics that we cover every January, which is why it is so critical that we seek as God's people, as Jesus' followers, to be comprehensive. So conservative Christians tend to latch on to the texts in Scripture where God's judgment follows things like sexual immorality or child sacrifice, abortion. Liberal Christians tend to latch on to the text in Scripture where God's judgment follows things like greed, oppression of the poor. In the Word of God, it is both. It is all of these. Not just the ones that we're most inclined to care about. Not just the ones that gains us points in the circles that we run in. Pay attention in the Word of God to God's ears. Who does God hear? Who does God have compassion So that's one reason that we should care about sojourners, because of God's ears. Uh, The second is our hearts. Our hearts. Look again at Exodus 23, verse 9. You shall not oppress a sojourner. Why? You know the heart of a sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. That is an incredible statement, and one I'd never really seen truly, before. See, it's one thing to say that we should have empathy for others, that we should put ourselves in others' shoes, that we should imagine what it would be like to be in their place. This is saying, you already know. You already know. You don't have to imagine. And not only do you know the plight of a sojourner, not only are you familiar with their difficult circumstances, no, you know their heart. The heart in Scripture is the center of emotion, the center of our will. Here in Exodus 23, God is saying that his people intimately know the sojourner heart. What it feels like to be dehumanized, to be a number, to be constantly viewed with suspicion. Why do God's people know that? Because that's what Pharaoh did to them. That's what Pharaoh did to them. Pharaoh was so threatened by how many of them there were, he feared that the Israelites would overtake him, that they would ruin Egypt's way of life, that they would perhaps even bring about the end of Egypt altogether. And so Pharaoh and the people of Egypt made it impossible for God's people. For 400 years, they did everything they could to break them, to remind them that they were inferior, that they didn't belong, and that they never would. That even centuries later, they still would not have a real home there. That they and their children and their children after them for generations would always be wandering, unwanted outsiders. The call to God's people is not merely to remember. It is to identify with at the heart level to identify with at the heart level. Because you were sojourners in Egypt, their heart is your heart. God's people, in other words, have sojourner hearts. Now, from a chronological and experiential standpoint, most of us, if not all of us, are really far removed from this. Most of us have not been sojourners, and certainly not in the way the Israelites were in Egypt. But centuries later, the Apostle Peter writes a letter to the churches of Asia Minor. 
And in multiple places, including his opening line, his greeting, he addresses Christians as exiles, as those who have an eternal home with God, but who are at present sojourners in the world. And in chapter 2 of 1 Peter, verse 11, he even uses the Greek translation of that same word used throughout the Old Testament when Peter writes, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Though we have not lived as slaves in Egypt, followers of Jesus are sojourners in this world. Our home, our real home, is with God. Our citizenship is in heaven, as the Apostle Paul puts it. In this world, people and systems that are committed to rejecting God, that persist in their rebellion against him, they will align themselves against Christ's followers. They will even hate Christ's followers, even as they have lined themselves against and hated Jesus. And yet, we are sent by God into this world to make a home, to find a place, albeit temporary, where we can seek the flourishing of our neighborhoods and our schools and our workplaces, and most important of all, the people that God has sent us among. So in short, though I wouldn't necessarily recommend you say this conversationally because you have to kind of qualify and explain it. But in short, we are refugees. We are immigrants in our own way. People who know that our real place of belonging is elsewhere, but who are doing everything we can right now to be present and to make it work here. And here's the thing. If you miss everything else that I've said so far this morning, then hear this. To the degree that we live like a sojourner, we will have compassion for sojourners. To the degree we live like sojourners, we will have compassion for sojourners. Because we will know their heart. Their heart will actually be our heart. Now what does that look like? I'm short on time, but just a few quick thoughts on this this morning. A sojourner heart is first and foremost dependent It relies on others. It relies on something outside of itself because it has to. When we cease to live like sojourners, our hearts increasingly become independent, autonomous, buying into this delusion of self-reliance. And here's the diagnostic question that's worth asking ourselves over and over again. Did you make your own way in this world? Or is everything you have truly grace, a gift from God? Our answer to that on the functional level reveals whether we're living from a sojourner heart or not. A sojourner heart is also uncomfortable. It always feels a little bit out of place. Always feels like something is just a little bit off. Wrestling with tensions of, the tensions of being made for somewhere else but still trying to make it work here. So how do we participate in politics without making an idol of politics? How do we use money? How do we cultivate deep love for the world and the people of this world without becoming corrupted by the world? These are tensions that don't fully resolve. And actually the fact that they don't resolve keeps us from getting too comfortable where we would then forget that we are sojourners. Last one I'll mention, the sojourner heart is also a longing heart. It is a longing heart, and it does not settle for less than it is meant to experience. 
As C.S. Lewis famously wrote in Mere Christianity, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. The sojourner heart longs for all things to be made new. It longs for all to be well, for a sense of real peace and rest and a, and a sense that all is right in the world, things that we will never fully experience in this life. But if we try to experience those things in this life, if we are formed by our culture's addiction to safety, leisure, decadence, excess, or worse, if we so isolate ourselves and close our eyes to reality that it feels like we are home because we've made our home here, that counterfeit sense of home will make us calloused towards sojourners. It can't but do that. It will make your heart closed off to sojourners. As I said a little while ago, on our website and in this week's email, the B-Side podcast, we're going to share some stories and lots of practical stuff, things you can read, ways you can pray, uh, next steps of action you can take to love and serve refugees and immigrants here in central Pennsylvania. Here's the thing, though. At the end of the day, love for sojourners, love for refugees and immigrants will come when we live like the sojourners we are. It will come when we live like the sojourners we are. If you cling to this world, if you try to make it your home in a way that God never intended, refugees and immigrants can only ever be, in your perception, a threat or a pawn. A threat, you'll be threatened by what they will do to your life and what they might impact about your life and the, the world in which you inhabit, or they'll be a pawn and you'll use them for whatever ends. And if we're really being honest about that, if you lean conservative politically, you'll see immigrants and refugees as a threat. And if you lean liberal politically, you'll see immigrants and refugees as a, as a pawn. Only from the heart of a sojourner can you really love a sojourner. And this is why knowing his people would always be sojourners and exiles in this world, Jesus himself became one. Scott Saul says it better than I could, and he wrote in his book, Befriend, he said this, Maybe Jesus cared so much about the alien, the stranger, and the refugee because Jesus was also an alien, a stranger, and a refugee. His parents and Jesus, they, they were indeed refugees. Herod, the megalomaniac king, having heard the rumor that the Jewish Messiah had been born, ordered a decree for the slaughter of the innocents to purge the land of every newborn male. Mary and Joseph fled with Jesus in search of other cities and homes and hearts that had no borders. See, no one knows the heart of a sojourner like Jesus. And from his sojourner heart, he has loved you. Jesus is sojourning in this world. His life and death and resurrection is our salvation. His sojourning is our salvation. So may we live like the sojourners we are. May we love sojourners the way only sojourners can. And may it be said of us, as it was said in Exodus 23, you know the heart of a sojourner, for you are sojourners in this world. Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord God, by the power of your spirit, we ask now that you would give us strength to live out this message that we have heard today. You know, Father, and we confess that we are inclined to make this place our home in a way you've never intended, to forget that we are sojourners, 
and therefore to close our hearts to others who are sojourners in this world. Remind us of who we are. Help us to live sojourner lives from a sojourner heart. Give us love for other sojourners. We pray now that as we come to this table and we see again the work of Christ, Jesus, that you came into this world as a sojourner for our salvation, that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, renew us in your grace today, remind us of the love that you have for us, and send us out in that love with, with your eyes, with your compassion for others who were sojourners. Move us this morning. Transform us even one more degree of glory to another in the way we love others the way we've been loved by you. We pray all this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.